Hello, all you sleepy people. Uh, you guys that are watching online too that are at the lake or a beach somewhere, thank you for giving us a chance to rejoice with you, even though none of us want to uh, rejoice with you at all. We're glad that you're joining us. You guys are, y'all are awesome. You're not as holy as people that came at nine o'clock this morning, but y'all are awesome. I was in uh, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, suffering for Jesus in that place this week, this past week, uh, with a group of young pastors, and uh, which is something the Lord has just opened up a door for me to do. That's a whole another story for later, but I, I just love it. And I was sitting with one of the guys who said, well, where are you teaching this weekend? I said, well, I'm going to the greatest church in America. I'm going to my favorite church on the planet, my home church, Cross Timbers Community Church, and he said, well, are, are you in a series? And I said, no, it's, uh, we're kind of in between. Well, how do you decide what you're going to teach? That's what he asked me, which I thought was a great question. And uh, I said, honestly, it always just comes out of conversations that I have with people everywhere I go. What, what, what am I hearing people talk about the most? And uh, that's what today is about for me anyway, It's just having a conversation with you. I, I'm not going to preach a sermon I'm going to ramble a little bit. I hope you'll take some notes along the way. Uh, but I'm just going to share with you what I've been sharing with people who have been asking me about this unique season and time we live in and what are, some, what are some of my personal convictions about the most important things for us. I don't think you would get up on daylight savings time, which there will be none in heaven. Come on, somebody. Um, some of you, you're younger and it's hard for you with your kids and then you're my age and you realize it makes no difference, you're up already, you know. Um, but you wouldn't come if you weren't expecting God to do something in your life. My assumption is this. Like, nobody needs to get more informed. You got the internet and podcast. I mean, you can do that. I think you came because you want God to do something in you. And it's not just possible, but it is God's heart that you would walk out this door today saying, I'm, I'm not the same. I mean, I think that's what God wants to do, don't you? Can we just ask him to do that? So, Father, just, uh, I know your heart that you really like us <laughs> and that you have great plans and dreams for us. And so I would just ask by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit, that we could walk out this door, not encouraged, not even challenged, but transformed. And I would pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were an entrepreneur, some of you in this room have begun businesses, you've started careers, and you're an entrepreneur, and you were in the first couple of years of your startup, which is hard. doesn't matter who you are. It's a long walk up a steep hill as you begin your enterprise. And if you were to get an hour with a famous, successful business person, let's say since we live in Dallas, a guy was asking me about this last week. He said, do you know Mark Cuban? I said, I do not. I do not know him personally. But say Mark Cuban gave you one hour to talk, he, to talk to you about your business, the thing you care about the most. And he says to you, well, I've studied your business plan. I see what you're doing after you've answered these questions. If there was one thing above anything else that you would do, it would be fill in the blank. My question is this, would you do it? Would you? I mean, we're, not ta we're talking about a business 
advice that you got for your business from a guy who's made gazillions of dollars and started companies, would you do it? If y'all don't answer me, we're going to be here till like three. I, I, I am not the pastor anymore. I'm not scared of any of y'all. We'll just keep going. Uh, would you do it? How many high school, college students do we have in this room today? Okay, how many of you are athletes? How many of you are athletes? So uh, what do you play, sweet girl? Okay, swimming. So if you got an hour with Michael Phelps, and he would give you an hour to train you and to build a program for you to become the very best you could be, and he said, hey, if there's one thing that you ought to do, it's this, would you do it? Of course you would. And so there's one guy in the Bible that God said, you can have whatever you want. And he said, I want wisdom. And God said, you know, it's so cool that you asked me for wisdom and not riches. I'm going to give you both. His name was Solomon. Uh, And Solomon decided to write his kids a letter, which means so much to me because I've written so many letters over the past 20 years to my kids. Just stuff that if my life were to end, they would have those letters and things that matter to me about how they relate to one another, to the kids, but about values that I would want for them to live with their life. And this is what Solomon did, and he called it Proverbs. We completed a few weeks ago a series in Proverbs. And, but there's one proverb that I think speaks so directly to where most of us are in today's world. And it's one simple statement that we're going to learn together today. It's found in Proverbs chapter four, and it says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So the wisest man to ever walk the planet outside of Jesus, who was given this gift of wisdom, said if I could tell you one thing above anything else, it would be to guard your heart. So let's write the word of God on our heart today, which is a churchy way to say, let's memorize this together, all right? So I want you to repeat after me. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Congratulations, you got your money's worth today. Solomon says to his boys, look look at me, everybody, not out of his victories, but out of his defeats. Say, what defeats? Solomon had... 300 wives and at least 500 concubines. He was a player. This was what Solomon was. And I don't, by the way, Joe, I don't even, I mean, I don't get that. Like, I have a hard time, like, understanding, speaking, life, connecting with in a great way. One, 300? But I mean, honestly, he was, he, he had a, a, an issue with liking women. And he's in the middle of talking about, contextually, about the mistakes that he's made and things he wanted them to know. And he says, hey, man, listen, I'm not going to tell you. 
I'm not going to talk to you about what you should do until I talk to you about your heart. Now, when I say the word heart, I don't want you to think Valentine's Day and sentimentality and all the words we learn about the Greek words for love and the New Testament. No, I want you to understand that here he is talking about the inner man, the inner woman. He's talking about how you think. And by the way, he's not suggesting it. He's commanding it, God is. As a man thinketh in his heart, that's how I memorized it as a kid, so is he. You are not what you eat, you are what you think. And God is not going to ask you to do something that he does not give you the choice and you don't have the will and the power to do. Is there any more relevant concept in the culture in which we are living today that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? That if we think like everybody else, we're going to get what everybody else gets, right? So if you don't hear anything else I say today, which is a dumb thing for a pastor to say because I want you to keep listening, look at me. You're not a victim. You're not. The world is lying to us. Everything's so negative and cancel culture and da-da-da-da-da. And what are our kids going to do and what are we going to do? We are going to guard our heart above all else. Because you can. You get to choose your heart. The condition of your heart is your choice. Now, it's harder for some of us than others. Those of us who battle for our mental wellness... We have to be a bit more vigilant. Some of you have heard me say before, I had a guy a couple of weeks ago tell me about this awesome, scary movie he had watched on Netflix. He goes, you ought to watch it. I go, dude, my heart beats fast for free. I ain't gonna do that. (laughs) You may have been through like a really painful season. And I'm really sorry that you've been through it. But it doesn't have to be your identity for the rest of your life. You get to choose the state of your heart, the way you think. And it's a battle worth fighting. I think it's about two things. Well, before I tell you what the two things are, let me tell you this. I'm not talking about playing defense. I'm talking about playing offense. Guarding your heart is not some defensive posture. Don't think about a guard by a guard gate. Those of you who are NCAA basketball fans, think about a guard being guarded on a basketball court. It is active. It is constant. It is never ending until the final buzzer. It's a decision of your will that you are going to continually, two things, you are going to be assessing the state of your heart and making mid-course corrections, adjusting what you're doing to get your heart in the best place possible. Y'all with me? Amen. And let's, let's take out like the low-hanging fruit of the value system of people outside of God's kingdom. Let, let's, I'm not even talking today about immorality. I'm, I'm talking about, let's start with negativity. 
Let's talk about cancel culture. Let's talk about if Jesus is in us, we ought to be the most obnoxiously positive, optimistic people on the planet. And we're not. Let's be honest, we're not. There's no significant difference, according to the top research firm, Barna, that studies religion in America, there's no significant difference in how people, their outlook on life for believers and non-believers. Why? Because we're not guarding our hearts. And it determines the direction of our lives. So we've constantly got to be assessing. I was talking to a guy last week. I love when I'm talking to guys that aren't here all the time now, Joe, because nobody thinks I'm talking about them like they used to. But I mean, really, but so I'm talking to a guy and he said, a business guy, and he says, man, my life is going so good. I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. And he said, I wish I didn't feel that way, but I do. And I said, well, number one, your feelings are a stupid steering wheel for your life. I mean, you got to feel your feelings, but if they steer your life, you're going to be in trouble. But I said, number two, can I ask you a question, Bob? And he said, yeah. And I go, who told you you didn't deserve good things? I said, if, you, if God is blessing you and your life is going so good, why do you have this subconscious feeling that along the line, God's going to even the score? And he said, I don't know what to do. The dumbest thing for me to say to him is, well, don't think that way anymore. It would be, hey, you need to replace that subconscious lie with a different thought on a regular basis. Well, what do I do? Look in the mirror every morning and say, I am a son of the living God who wants to give me good gifts. He's in the Bible. Jesus told us what father is going to give his kid a snake or a rock when he needs food to eat. And if a dad on earth knows how to do it, how much more does our heavenly father know how to do it? So he asked, you have to assess. Paul said, therefore, a man should examine himself. That's not just about communion. That's about life. Not what am I thinking, but why am I thinking what I'm thinking? And replace that thought with something else. It's why for, I don't know, 15 years. We've passed out this place. Now they're going around this country and the world in three languages. The 40 IMs, 40 statements about who God says that you are. Why does that matter so much? It matters because you are what you think. And you can't give in to, well, that's just how I am. Right? So I need to examine, I think, three things. Number one, if you're taking notes, if, number one, am I regularly speaking life to myself and to others? I mean, the Bible is pretty clear from Old to New Testament. That the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Which Chase, like that's a big one for you and me. We like to talk, right? And so the deal is because we like to talk, there's more potential that we're either gonna pour water 
our roundup on this living soul that we have. And I am not ready to speak life over others that I'm not beginning to believe about myself. And I think there's lots of talk about speaking life over others, but I'm asking you, like, when you say things like, nothing good is ever going to happen to me, my question is, what lie are you believing? You know those 40 I am's I talked about? I think we called them affirmations a couple of series ago here. Uh, people ask me all the time, well, how do you pick one? Pick the one you're having the hardest time believing and say it three times a day. Put it on the dashboard of your car. It's better than looking at your phone. And remind yourself, I think we attack the fruit and we forget that the root is what we're thinking. And by the way, and I'm, Again, I told you I was going to ramble a bit. And if it's all about me and what I'm thinking and lies I'm believing, like, uh, and I'm not regularly speaking life over other people, that's an unprotected heart, too. I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy for my whole world to be about me. Anybody else besides me? There's a class on denial for some of you that are going, oh, I don't have that problem. <laughs> but so the thing is, like, I have, to, I have to systematically program it into my life. To me, the greatest invention the older I get <laughs> has been reminders on my phone. Because I'll get busy and my day will be about me. So I have in my phone reminders that I'm going to encourage six people a week. I'm just, I just go through my contacts, pick six, put the reminder in for each day, and I say, hey, man, I was just thinking about you. I want to pray for you. People of my generation, like, let's quit wondering why everybody wants to text and nobody wants to talk. Let's build a bridge and get over it and just go enter other people's worlds, right? And, and just, I texted a guy yesterday, hey, man, I just want you to know I love you. I get a chance to be a spiritual dad to lots of guys who've never had a dad tell them they love them. It started with my son, honestly, several years ago that I said, baby, I want a relationship to grow. We have a great relationship, but I want a friendship. I want to be friends with my adult son. So I need to speak words of life over him regularly. I need to pour water intentionally in his life. Like, all of you can do this. <laughs> and it changes the state of your heart when it's not all about you. And you're looking for people to speak life over. Why do you think so many people were attracted to Jesus? It, it wasn't his, it was his prophetic voice, but not the foretelling, not, hey, and by the way, tomorrow you're going to get a peanut butter sandwich. It was foretelling, hey, Simon, let me tell you something. You're a rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Simon was not a rock. He spoke to who he was going to become, that Jesus believed in him before he ever believed in himself. Can I give you a little tip, some of you that have teenagers that is kind of costing you your spirituality at this moment because you're dumb and they know everything. And I know that, oh, was that just me, my kids, not y'all? 
it's so easy to get a habit of being so corrective in every conversation that we forget to speak the life that they need to step into who God created them to become. Look, man, wisdom is not intelligence. Wisdom is dumb tax. Wisdom is, hey, man, I did it that way and it didn't work out. Don't do it that way. And it took way too long for me to begin to speak that kind of life into my kids' lives. But I need to be assessing, man, what, what am I saying about myself to myself? And then am I regularly speaking life to others? That's a huge part of guarding your heart. Number two, my experience has been, and I think the Bible bears this out, I ask the question, who am I connected to? And what connects me to them? Who am I connected to and what connects me to them? Uh, through the years, Mike and I have had people close to us in our lives and what connected us together where our kids played ball together. There's nothing wrong with that. Our kids played sports together or there was common interest among those, our families and that was a great place to start. But out of those groups through the years that we're in, you know what relationships have lasted? Like deep, supportive friendships. It's the people that value what Mike and I value, and they help us and we help them. Do you have that in your life? Do you have someone, and let me say this to men, especially you men. Do you have some guy in your life that can call bull on you? Is there another guy that knows what your biggest weakness is or what dream God's given you for the next season of your life and is asking you about it regularly? Do you have that in your life? Because if not, you're living an unprotected life. And that's what makes this so cool. Look around here. These are all like potentially Jesus-centered connections. What other place on the planet do you go to where there's this kind of opportunity for you to begin to build those relationships? And I'm proud of our team. They're saying, hey, we're going to help people get connected. Why? Not because it's a good idea, because if you live in, nobody decides when they're 15, you know what? I think I'll, I'll get addicted to drugs. I'll get addicted to alcohol. I'll do something unethical at my job. I'll lose my you know, I'll ruin, my life will be in ruins by 35. Nobody starts there. They, you start with a thought that reaps an action that takes you places you never dreamed you would go. Right? Are y'all with me? So I love you. I don't know a bunch of you. And Joe will be back next week and y'all be happier. But look at me. Like you're not smarter than everybody else. You can't beat the system. God knows more than you. Jesus is in a garden and says, I need my friends. I can't do this on my own. And you can? Guys, really? I'm just telling you, this is a part of garden yard. I wouldn't have made it to this point in my life without that. And I know you have to fight for it. I know it's a sacrifice sometimes. Wait till you get to be empty nester and everybody's traveling off everywhere. You have to fight for those things. Why? Because it protects your heart. 
So what am I saying to myself and to others? Who am I connected to and what connects me to them? And then finally, man, which way am I looking? So I'm going to just be confessional and wrap this up. Uh, if you were to say to me, what are the greatest threats to your heart at 59 years of age with two mid-30 kids, five grandkids, 30-plus years in local church ministry? What has been the greatest threats to you? You know what they are? Two things. Number one, me comparing myself to somebody else and me being crippled by regrets of mistakes I've made in the past. That's just honest for me. And I'm not even talking about your generation, sweet girl, Miss Swimmer over here. I'm not even talking about social media. That's a whole other thing. I'm talking pre-social media. Like the biggest threat to my heart being in a good place has been that guy. How come that guy's achieved more than me? God, how's that fair? Hey, why does that dude not have panic attacks? And why is his life going so good? Or, I mean, that was just dumb what I did, and I don't know how to fix it. And See, it, when it becomes a competition, when it becomes about comparing, there's always somebody doing better than you, and you're going to feel defeated. And there's always somebody doing worse than you, and you're going to be a little more proud than you should be. You, you hear me? I mean, I'm just, again, man, just an old guy sharing his heart with you. And I get, trust me, I get the regret, the guilt of past mistakes. If I walk back into my high school reunion, I didn't go for 15 years because every time I went, they were like, you did, you're doing what for a living? Take hope, parents. I was hell on wheels when I was 17, 18 years old. I mean, I was. But when I do that, when I give in to that feeling of that's a, a disqualification for my life. I negate the power of the cross of Jesus in my life. Like that's I don't mean to do it, but guess what? What I mean to do doesn't matter. Intentionality doesn't mean anything. It's like you hit me in the face and going as hard as you can and go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Guess what? It still hurts. So how do you battle not comparing or not looking back? I'm, I'm telling you for me. And I, I gave it to you today in the message version because it has just spoken so deeply into my life. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. I love this next time. He could put up with anything. Along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. So I'm just going to put the cookies on the lowest shelf I can so you mature much deeper than me, theologians. Keep, will y'all give me a minute of grace? Sometimes Jesus has become, in seasons of my life, a concept or an idea. Like fixing my eyes on Jesus that, used to, that passage used to frustrate me because I thought, well, how am I going to do that? I'm supposed to sing worship songs all day. I got stuff to do. It's just 
when he becomes real as a person in my life, he's the first person I want to ask when I have a decision to make. I just talk to him during the day. <laughs> just me and him, not weird. Not out loud a lot of times, but like I just, when, when I see him as a person, he's the center of my life. That It keeps me away from looking that way or that way. Does that make sense to everybody? I wish I was a better communicator, articulating that in a way everybody wanted to put on Instagram. But for me, it's just like he becomes real, like a person, real person. And just like I wouldn't go two days without talking to my wife, I'm not going two days without during the day having a conversation with this real person named Jesus. Why? Because I love him. Because I want to guard my heart, man. We have the potential in this room to see the kingdom advance and for things to change as long as we're willing to change. But if we keep doing what everybody else is doing, let's don't be surprised when we get what everybody else is getting. Above all else, guard your heart for it will determine the direction of your life. And the good news of the gospel is God doesn't want to fix your heart. Jesus promises you a new heart. I mean, is that not awesome to think about? You know how many people I've had say to me in some form or fashion over the last two months, it's too late for me? It's not what Jesus says. It's never too late. He wants to give you a new heart. Would you stand with me? Can I just pray for you today? Sometimes I think I get a little wound up because I'm preaching to myself harder than I'm preaching to you, honestly. Hey, man, I want to go to, I want my life. I want for all of us to be able to say the next 10 years have been the deepest, richest years of our life. Don't you? I want a heart that reflects who God is. And I know you do too. Let's pray. Father, would you do this in us? I just pray around tables today as families chat, uh, as friends get together. I just pray there'd be like real conversation about the state of our heart and where it is and where we want it to be. And I am so grateful, Jesus, that you promised me a new heart. That you're constantly regenerating places in my life that are broken. And I, I'm just, I'm praying today there'll be some men that will step up in their houses with their families to know that they have everything they need to be everything you've called them to be. I'm praying for some moms in this room that are tired and weary. And I would pray that they would not hear me today giving them something else to do, but painting a picture of who they can be. And I pray, Father, that it would be said of us that we spoke life in our homes, in our vocations, in our world. Bless these people, Father, because I know they're your favorites. You love them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.